0: And so when I was young, I tried to design this entire system that would help mitigate that. My parents very much placated me. It was nothing special, but we created it. We actually built it. We wrote our own patent. We talked about a commercialization plan, and this is when I was maybe 10 years old. And so I've always had this passion for trying to improve people's lives and for trying to be innovative and try to deliver something new that's really solving real world problems.
1: And now, from San Francisco and the UCSF Rosenman Institute, the health technology podcast with your host, Christine Winoto.
2: Today, we are thrilled to have Joe Connolly, founder and CEO of Asana Health and respected member of our Rosenman founder community. Joe's commitment to women's health care is deeply rooted in his personal experience, watching his mother battle an undiagnosed menstrual pain condition for over two decades. His journey has led him to champion innovations in women's health, bridging significant care gaps. At the forefront of Fasana Health, Joe leverages his biomedical engineering expertise to broaden the scope of women's health beyond maternity care. Under his guidance, Fasana Health has become a highlight of the Roseman Institute portfolio and gained distinction as an ADAPT awardee within the Roseman Institute ADAPT's program. This recognition afforded Visana Health the unique opportunity to collaborate with a leading healthcare payer, further enhancing its ability to deliver impactful health solutions. Joe's prior leadership in medical device strategy has been pivotal in deploying digital health solutions that enhance patient care while reducing costs. In our discussion, we'll discuss how Joe's drive spurs his professional pursuit significantly impacting women's health care. Here's our conversation. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for joining me today.
0: Thank you so much for the invitation, Christine. I'm looking forward to the conversation.
3: And so where are you calling me from?
0: I live in beautiful Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we're recording this in October, which is the best time of year to be in Minneapolis. So if this comes in the winter, the, the darkness hasn't yet descended on us yet.
3: Yeah, it seems like October is the best month everywhere. So if only school is off in October, and that would be nice, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> so uh, uh, we've had you in our program for uh, since 2021, so it feels like a long time ago. And, but this is our first uh, conversation about you know what your journey that I, I think you have quite interesting story and i'd really like to share that with our community and so let's get started with like what brought you to healthcare not so much about fisana but you you had a lot of experience in healthcare and why the interest in healthcare
0: healthcare has been my passion ever since i was a little kid and so was entrepreneurship so Uh, We used to have meetings when I was young, family meetings, where we were having to set life goals and trying to figure out how far we would go in life and where we wanted to orient ourselves in our career. And from a very young age, mine have always been around healthcare because I've always taken a likening to science and math as well, but also always wanted to be able to help people. And that's really been where I've oriented my entire career ever since those early days. And then I've always been very interested in innovation too. So... When I was young, there, uh, for instance, was an um, an issue where young kids were dying from uh, when they were getting in art accidents because the airbags were popping out and hurting them. And so when I was young, I tried to design this entire system that would help mitigate that. My parents very much placated me. It was nothing special, but we created it. We actually built it. We wrote our own patent. We talked about a commercialization plan, and this is when I was maybe 10 years old. And so I've always had this passion for trying to improve people's lives and for trying to be innovative and try to deliver something new that's really solving real world problems. And so that's kind of where I started. And then during college, I was always trying to do some soul searching to figure out, did I want to go to medical school? Did I want to get in the pharmaceutical industry? Did I want to do something different? And so I started to survey across uh, the entire medical industry. And, you know, like we were discussing before this, a lot of people think it really is just being a doctor, or being a nurse. And I started to come across these companies that were really impacting patient lives at scale, like pharmaceutical companies, medical device companies. And so I decided to go into the medical device space. I studied biomedical engineering. And the real reason for that is that I like to create. I like to have these things that I was making that then I could take and impact patient lives at scale, which I thought was a potentially a better mechanism to achieve that goal than being a doctor. Not Obviously, doctors are critically important to delivering the care that we have today. But that was really the thought process behind where I wanted to go. And so that led me all the way to work for a large medical device company, And I was doing some strategy and innovation. So really on the front end of all of the R&D cycle, figuring out what products we should deliver, what clinical trials we should run, and uh, ultimately companies we should acquire, things like that. And so from that, what I really figured out was there was a lot of incremental innovation in the medical device space. And it was a great way to make money, but I was really seeking something that was able to deliver more of a step function in patient outcomes. And so I did a project while I was there. This was about a decade ago when digital health was just starting to become a buzzword. The Affordable Care Act had just passed. And so value-based care was starting to become a buzzword as well. And so I undertook a project at the confluence of all of those things where we were really researching specific disease states and figuring out how we could achieve the quadruple aim of improving patient outcomes, improving the patient experience, lowering the top total cost of care, and ultimately delivering a better clinician experience as well. And I saw ultimately it didn't matter whether you were using our device or another company's device. There were fundamental issues in the incentives around healthcare, the way that care was being delivered because of those incentives, and a lot of patients were getting lost in the system. And I saw that there was a really big opportunity to use digital technology at scale to really achieve that step function and outcomes. And so that's a little bit about me and what really drives me. I think my North star throughout my entire life is really thinking about how we can improve patient outcomes at scale.
3: It's really interesting how your, your parents with you, thinking about, you know, yeah. how many parents I know talk about their kids about what's your goal in life at the early stage.
0: <laughs> your parents must be pretty special. <laughs> yes, I'm very thankful to have such a wonderful and supportive family.
3: And um, and so I think um, your experience, even doing the what do you call it, the the seat belt with the the airbags, and that's quite uh, even uh, probably an eye opening for a ten years old. And you must be pretty special, ten years old. I mean, I'm just thinking <laughs> about you know when I was ten years old. I don't think I thought about any else that stuff.
0: (laughs) Thank you, I appreciate that.
3: And so tell me, so now you're not in the medical devices world and you're in the digital world space. What are the things that you learned from your experience in medical devices that's translatable to what you're doing
0: here? So we actually had a digital health solution that I helped implement doing the initial working with the technology team, figuring out the business model, pitching the C-suite of health systems, doing the implementation, running the clinical evidence and economic evidence generation plan. And we ended up scaling it to quite a few different hospitals. And so throughout that process, I, when I was running the implementations, we were in the womb care space and we were getting ulcers that have been active for 20 years and getting them healed within six months. And so I became really passionate about moving more towards the digital side of things because I was seeing the real world impact that these types of technologies could have on patients. And there was one person who um, really stuck out to me when I was having a conversation with him where he had a deep vein thrombosis many years before. He had this longstanding ulcer and we got it healed and he came back to us and said, I can run up the the hill with my kids again. There's all these things that I could do that I can never do for the last 20 years. And it's really opened up all these new avenues in my life. And so that was really rewarding. And what really got me interested in starting something like what Vasana has become. And at the same time, I mentioned some of the deficiencies and the incentives within the healthcare system. And I think once you're in the healthcare system for a long enough time, you realize that everybody's following the money at the end of the day. And so I was very acutely aware of the issues that the fee-for-service environment had and how those issues then trickle down to technology because a lot of the technology is aligned to getting paid through fee-for-service mechanisms. Mm-hmm. So, I go ahead
3: now. I guess what I'm trying to understand, like sometimes you you have the product that you think it can help cure the disease or fix the problem, but what you're saying is that the follow up, the the support to help the to uh, the patient to navigate, is that what it what happened?
0: Yeah, exactly. So what we were finding is that a lot of people get stuck in a place in the healthcare system where they're not seeing receiving best practice care, where there is. Really good randomized controlled evidence that shows that certain interventions deliver phenomenal outcomes. And if patients aren't receiving those interventions, we were mapping all these patient journeys to say, where is the gap and what's going on? And then we were identifying exactly where the breakdown in the healthcare system was, where it was patients weren't receiving certain diagnostics like ultrasound, which are very low cost and effective. And instead of receiving minor interventions that were done in an outpatient setting, they were ended up getting this bandaging and wound care that was really just a topical thing. It wasn't, you know, it was pulling or it was cutting the weed off. It wasn't pulling out the roots. And mm-hmm. then we were making sure we were taking care of that entire person and really solving all of the different issues and underlying etiologies of their condition. And taking that really holistic approach was delivering phenomenal clinical outcomes in the patient experience, and people were getting back to living their lives. And ultimately, it helped reduce the overall cost because we were really able to show that by having this slightly higher cost intervention in the short term, you could produce a one-year ROI in the long term. And so we were working a lot with health plans and creating these um, health actuarial models to demonstrate the, a one-year hard dollar ROI, which is what they need to see in order to be able to invest in solutions like these, and then trying to figure out how we could intervene in the patient journey er- early enough so that we could catch people early on. And what I was finding with this was while we were doing the implementation, it was difficult to get primary care clinicians to refer their wound care patients in, or teach the wound care nurses how to use your digital technology. And so we were going through the health systems and it's it's a challenge to get people to do something that's outside of their day to day lives. Um, and so ultimately part of the core thesis behind the was we really wanted to own, so to speak, have those clinicians in-house and be able to incentivize and train them in a way that can produce those outcomes. And so that was kind of core to those learnings was you really need to be able to have a business model that aligns to outcomes and reducing costs, and then making sure that your clinical staff is intimately aligned with the care model that leads to those types of outcomes and that you're incentivizing and recruiting the right people to be able to deliver that type of care.
3: So, which is a good segue for you to tell us about Fasana Health. What inspired you to start um, and why in this space? And
0: tell me yeah, more about it. Absolutely. So, um, obviously, I had all of this professional experience that I was getting very, very passionate about because it was aligning to my own personal North Star. And then I was reflecting back on some of my experiences within the healthcare system. Uh, and my family's experiences within the healthcare system and the entire time that I was growing up my mom, my aunt, my grandma all had very severe gynecological conditions um, ranging from endometriosis to heavy bleeding to uterine fibroids and I saw firsthand the major quality of life impact that these conditions had. My mom whenever she was menstruating would have such excruciating pain that she would often be vomiting for three or four days out of every single month and she couldn't get out of bed. She was in so much pain. And despite those extremely severe symptoms, when she would go to the doctor and seek care, she essentially felt like she was dismissed. She was told things like she should just take some ibuprofen and tough it out because periods are painful. And then ultimately, after 25 years, had a hysterectomy as the first and only treatment that was ever offered to her. And so similar to what I had seen in the wound care space, my mom had gone through a very similar journey where she wasn't getting treated. It was a very high cost intervention that ultimately came out. And there were very clear guideline-driven care where they had been proven in randomized controlled trials to drastically improve outcomes, but she had never received that type of care. And she had extensive endometriosis. She had uterine fibroids when they actually conducted the surgery, but none of those things were ever caught. And so that was the original, thing that happened that really made me start Vasana at the end of the day was marrying my professional experience with the experience of what my mom had suffered through.
3: And what does Vasana do to solve that particular problem?
0: Yeah, so I like to say that we started with some of the most complex women's health conditions. So a lot of women with those conditions often don't receive care at all, and they feel very dismissed. And we have a very different care model that relies on evidence-based medicine from guidelines uh, that interventions that have been proven in randomized controlled trials to improve outcomes at lower cost. And so for us, what that really means is integrating in real medical care from our 50 state network of OBGYNs and women's health nurse practitioners, and then making sure we're doing a very detailed intake with patients where we give them the opportunity to express their story and really go deep onto all of their different issues and so we're screening people for GI issues, urinary issues, if they come in with um, endometriosis symptoms, pelvic floor and SK issues, and so on and so forth. And then what we really do is create a whole person care plan that's tailored to their specific etiology and their specific problems. Again, all proven on evidence-based medicine to be able to improve outcomes and lower costs. And so it's really this comprehensive model that wraps in pharmaceutical interventions, which are both hormonal and non-hormonal and very low cost, with all of those other whole person services like diet nutrition, pelvic floor exercises, behavioral health support, one-on-one health coaching, and really giving our clinicians the ability to sit down and create this care plan with women that have suffered from these conditions. And oftentimes they've had very poor healthcare experiences and they feel very very disenfranchised with the healthcare system. You can imagine my mom was so frustrated every time she would go to the doctor. And when I was doing interviews with women who had uh, endometriosis prior to starting the the consistent theme that I heard was I would be crying in my car in the parking lot after the appointment because once again, I didn't have answers for my symptoms. And so part of our care model is making sure that we have an empathetic one-on-one relationship with a highly trained clinician and giving them the time to be able to discuss all of their different symptoms and really make them feel heard and validated.
3: And how can you, as persona do that? Why why is it the regular obgyn at regular health system can't do that?
0: I think there's a little bit of, depending on the condition, um, some training. And then a lot of the code goes back to those financial incentives and uh, the fee for service healthcare system. So, we expect a lot out of OBGYNs. They are obstetricians. Many of them are functioning as primary care providers for women, and they're specialists in the gynecology field. So, they have a very broad scope of service, uh, far more than what I would say many other specialists have. And a lot of them focus a lot on the obstetrics portion of their practice because a lot of residency programs really prepare you great for that. But then there's other things like menopause where they get very little training and may not have the time or ability to properly care for patients that have these more complex conditions. And I think you layer that on top of the fee-for-service healthcare system that rewards six-minute visits, 12-minute visits, where the doctors don't feel like they can have enough time to spend with that patient because they really have to churn and burn all these patients in order to hit their RVUs. And so it's the system that's really set both the physicians and the patients up to fail at the end of the day. And so that goes back to that value-based care of uh, we need a whole new mechanism to pay for a lot of these services in order to allow us to take that higher level of care. Um, Another gap that we found is it's very difficult to get some of these ancillary services like diet nutrition or behavioral health support paid for. A lot of the OBGYNs that I spoke to are working very hard to get those types of services integrated in with their practice, but there's just gaps in insurance, Um, access issues where patients would have to come in every day sometimes for behavioral health support, which just isn't something that the average woman can do, particularly those in the sandwich generation where they have kids and they're caring for aging adults. It's really difficult to get in person very frequently for some of these as well. This podcast is sponsored by
1: Brown Rudnick's Global Life Sciences Group, a team of legal professionals that help life science companies, lenders, and investors around the world turn good science into good business. Learn more at brownrudnick.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Canon Quality Group. Canon Quality Group has been helping medtech startups set up quality management systems for over 10 years. If you're unsure when to get started with quality management in your startup, turn to the experts at canonqualitygroup.com.
3: And so as a woman, I mean, here I work at UCSF. Some people have the insurance health net and they go to UCSF doctor or different doctors. Is that what you're saying is that I can just go to Fasana that will take care of everything. And then when I need to see a surgeon, then Fasana will refer me to the UCSF surgeon.
0: That's exactly right. So we can treat the majority of women virtually and get everyone started on medical management, make sure we have a very holistic care plan created that includes all of those evidence-based whole person ancillary services that I mentioned, really walk people through that. And the majority of women, we can get feeling better faster. And then if someone does need an intervention, whether that's an IUD, an ultrasound, a lab, or even a surgery, we help them find a high-quality surgeon in their area. We help them make the appointment. We send our medical records over. We have a very extensive care coordination to make sure that those people can get services in person when necessary. And so it truly is a fully connected and integrated model with in-person care.
3: And so recently you raised your seed round. It's a large seed round. It's so funny. I mean, I think about seed round, people think about 1 million, 2 million, but... <laughs> Yours is a sizable 10 million seed round. Uh, Congratulations for raising uh, that amount in a difficult time. Uh, I assume with that amount of money, this is an opportunity for you to scale. And what does that mean? Like, is that going to cover a lot more people in different part of the country? How does it work?
0: Yeah, so I think... Before that round of funding, what we were really focused on, Vasana, is proving that our care model can deliver far superior outcomes at a much lower cost and really creating a great patient experience. So that was our primary focus, was generating that data that we believe to be critical in the commercialization aspect to prove that we were indeed a lot better and we could deliver on our promise. And so... For the first few years of our life, that's really what we were focused on. And we collected a really robust set of data through multiple different health plan and employer implementations that really supported that. And so we were able to show that we had 93% of our patients achieving a clinically meaningful improvement in symptoms. We had a 95 in PS and 95% patient satisfaction rates And we've been able to, through an actuarial analysis, validate our four-to-one ROI for health plans and employers. And the clinicians that we work with love delivering this type of care because it's the type of care that they went to medical school for. They're they're really starting to build relationships with these patients. And so that's really fundamentally how we were able to raise our $10 million in funding. Mm -hmm. And we got really great healthcare investors behind us as well with Flair and Frisk-Cressy, with a lot of health plan LPs behind them. And so, as you mentioned, now that we've really formed this core foundation of what we're doing at Vasana, we're now working on scaling it out. And so, you'll notice that I didn't talk very much about our technology. We wanted to make sure we weren't over-investing in our technology before we had really nailed down the clinical model. I think at its core, Vasana is the clinical model and innovation and the business model and the technology both are in service of that clinical model that's really critical to delivering on those value proposition that I mentioned. And so with this, we've got quite a lot of traction coming into 2024, which is a very exciting place for us to be. Um, We'll probably be growing our patient volume 50 to 100 X. And so a lot of what we're doing right now is scaling out and investing very heavily in our technology to make sure that we're able to achieve that level of scale while delivering the same or superior outcomes to what we were previously delivering.
3: And so one of the things that I want to highlight a little bit, this is one of our programs that you're part of, the ADAPT program, as we are in the thick of that uh, uh, review uh, this time of the year is for 2023. Tell us more a little bit about the program. How has that helped Fasana to get to where you are today?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, we, I think, as you mentioned, we started the ADAPT process maybe two years ago, uh, the selection process right around now. And then throughout 2022, we were running a pilot with a large national health plan where we were trying to collect that data and prove that we really could be able to get those outcomes that we believed that we could. And everything about the, uh, the program was absolutely phenomenal. The The team that we were working with was great. Um What I have told many people that have reached out to me about the ADAPT program was that it was hugely impactful for our business. I can't say enough good things about it, but the team over there was very tough and demanding, which was the best thing that could have happened to Vasana because it made us go in so many directions so quickly that I don't know we would have gone in those directions with as much speed and velocity without that that push from that specific partner. So we're very thankful for all the support from you and your team, as well as our partner. Um, I can't say enough good things about the program, like I said.
3: So when you say, one of the things that we try to create through the program is having the discussion among the peers with the technology company at the early stage, which you were alluding a little bit. How can you share with us? Why is that helpful to have that conversation earlier rather than later in your journey?
0: So like I mentioned, we were not over invested in our technology at this time. And so this partner for us came in and said, We love what you're doing right now. We were focused on these high cost and complex conditions, but they said, we want you to do a lot more than that. And there was a slew of other things that they were asking us to do, many of which we had kind of been doing a little bit, like closed preventive gaps in care like mammograms. um, And then also some lower acuity things like UTIs and birth control refills that we were already doing as part of our larger care pathways for these more complex patients. And so they were really pushing us to add on and productize additional services very quickly, which we were able to do because we were really focused on building out this clinical model. And really it's just adding more and more things into the clinical model. Um, And fortunately for us that's really paid dividends and you'll see that we often call ourselves the most comprehensive virtual women's health clinic because we are treating now dozens of things from menstruation to menopause, we do polycystic ovary syndrome, we've got a phenomenal menopause program, and we can really be the hub and medical home for women with multiple different conditions. And a lot of that was due to the feedback that we were getting from our partner around what they were looking for, as well as doing a lot of market research and asking other plans and employers what they were looking for. And so that really helped us accelerate this clinical model that we were building. And now we've got it in a very, very robust place where it's delivering great outcomes. uh, And we're really able to focus on scaling it and scaling out that clinical organization while making sure that those outcomes are still being delivered at scale. And so, I think it really probably cut down years in our product development cycle because we were focused on the right things that our customers and partners were really looking for
3: and do you think this you you know through this program you you're working with one particular pair, and how translatable is that with other payers in the country because you obviously you don't want to create a product just for one particular pair.
0: We found that the value proposition that we've gone to market with has really resonated with a a wide range of health plans, but also self-funded employers. Um, And so we were very cognizant around making sure that whatever we were doing would be scalable to other organizations as well. And so far, it's been very one-to-one and all of the investments that we made for this specific program have really been very applicable to all of the other contracts and groups that we're now working with.
3: And so now, I mean, I um, segue a little bit on your experience working in a large organization and leading a very uh, nimble and you have to move a bit faster compared to if you work in a larger corporation. What are the the things that you brought from the large organization that helps you lead a startup that's growing fast?
0: Yeah, I think. I think probably the biggest thing that really helped me from my previous experience was having a great understanding of the healthcare system and all of the different players and what their incentives were. So, we were frequently conducting market research interviews where we were mapping out patient journeys, looking at health system and practice administrator incentives, uh, looking at provider incentives, referring physicians. We were looking at health plans and their incentives, employers and their incentives and then really monitoring a lot of the macroeconomic value-based care digital health trends and trying to put all of these pieces together. And so my work at my last role within a big company really got me exposure to a wide variety of the healthcare industry incentives, but also helped me think through how do you design a robust clinical evidence plan? How do you work with actuaries to be able to get a really good case match control claims analysis that's valid and that will be accepted by those health plans? How do you think through remote patient monitoring and being able to get those outcomes to you in a really robust way? And so a lot of the work that I was doing is highly applicable to what I'm doing now at Fasana. And as you mentioned, I think one of the most rewarding things about working at a small startup is that you're so much more agile in your decisions there's no pitching multiple layers of management and leadership to get buy off and budget approval you're able to make really quick decisions and really able to iterate and learn very quickly so that you can really deliver the step function and outcomes and i think that's really critical to being able to to be able to accomplish that goal is having that agility and that ability to learn very quickly and iterate in a way that helps you deliver those better patient outcomes, obviously without sacrificing patient safety.
3: And what do you think that uh, being running running a startup, what are the challenges that you did not expect when you start Fasana?
0: You have to learn so much. And to say that you have to roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty is an understatement. Um, I worked with a very low salary for a very long time. And I was doing everything from the accounting in QuickBooks to figuring out how to do marketing, to how to operationalize things, figuring out how to get the taxes done in the early years. And so it's very challenging to be extremely resource constrained when you come from a big company and there's people doing the taxes. You have legal experts in-house you can talk to. You have biostatisticians that can help you design trials. Now you have to figure out how you can be very, very scrappy and get all of that done yourself in a really high quality and robust way. And I think ultimately what that forces is you have to really prioritize the most important things and make sure that you are focused on those really key and critical things. And I think there's always fires going on and sometimes you just have to be okay to say, those fires are gonna burn for another few months and we're not gonna put them out. And instead we're just gonna focus on these ones over here and do a really great job. Um, but the, the level of cross-functional expertise that you have to bring in and just do things is, is huge within a startup organization.
3: I think, uh, so there's a value of uh, being a generalist. At the same time, you have to have competence in doing a lot of the new things. I mean, yeah. dealing with accounting, with the legal, that can be pretty scary if that's not your expertise.
0: <laughs> it is. And it's really difficult when you're first getting in and it's, you know, how do I do Amazon Web Services, right? There's all these different challenges that you have to have. And so you have to be very adept at figuring out who the right people are to bring on board and being able to screen their competence and really build this this group of people around you. And I think that's one of the things that I'm most proud of at Vasana is we just have An absolutely phenomenal mission-driven team where everybody's aligned on trying to improve patient outcomes. And then it's great when you are able to get that funding because you can bring people in that are subject matter experts on those more technical things and start to get them off your plate and get them professionalized a little bit.
3: And what are your philosophy in terms of that bringing people onto your team? I know it has to be mission-driven, but there's more to it than just being mission-driven.
0: Absolutely. So mission-driven is almost one of the key screens that we look for that is almost disqualifying from the beginning. We're looking for people always that are trying to roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty. I mean, I am still making PowerPoint slides and pitch decks. I'm making financial models. I'm still doing some of the accounting and the accounts payable. And so within startups, there's this very big, everybody's chipping in and doing some of the grunt work, so to speak. Um, And so we really look for people that are excited about the company, excited about the opportunity and really looking to roll their sleeves up and really start to solve the problems that we're looking at. And so I think that's ultimately huge whenever you're doing anything in a startup is making sure that you have that willingness to, to do the dirty work and really get your hands dirty.
3: I also need to kind of check the ego somewhere else.
0: Oh, yes, you can imagine that I'm doing things, especially in the early days that I had no business doing, like legal and accounting, and you have to be okay saying, we don't know everything, we're not going to know everything, and we have to take an approach where we're learning really quickly. There's... No one has an ego about what the right answer is. We're in the pursuit of truth right now, and we need to design systems to figure out how we can get to that truth at the end of the day. Especially when you're working at a startup that's kind of on the frontier of many new things, um, no one knows how to do some of these things that we're doing right now, and so it's up to us to go out there and figure it out. and we don't know who's going to be right or wrong at the end of the day, but we have to come in with hypotheses and come in with a viewpoint and learn and iterate really, really quickly. And I think that's where some of that agility that we talked about earlier comes
3: in. And how do you create that environment that allowed that kind of mindset to thrive?
0: So we have one of our core values at Vasana is actually being growth oriented, which really means for us that we are data driven, we're experiment driven, we identify the risks and opportunities up front, we are transparent about those risks up front, and the way that we're solving some of those things is to say, here's our plan to go figure out what the right answer is, no one's going to know what that immediate answer is, and so internally we celebrate when people are doing that. Um, being wrong isn't necessarily a bad thing. We celebrate when people are wrong, identify quickly and figure out how to fix things very, very quickly. And that's far more impactful at a startup um, than someone trying to shield the truth from people. And so that's really the the core value that we try to help bring to the organization to get that operationalized in the day-to-day world because we don't want people saying, I know the way and it's this way, it always is. Let's our customers, let our patients, let our clinicians tell us what the right answer is and let's really have it informed by data. We know we're not gonna know the right answer at the start. What matters is being really agile. And so we continually um, discuss that in our all hands meetings, in our cultural meetings, in our awards, and we, we make sure that we're celebrating that across the organization.
3: Mm-hmm, that's great. The last question before we, uh, we conclude our conversation. What is the best advice and what's the worst advice that you ever got?
0: This is such an interesting question because I've gotten so much incredible advice from so many different people. Um, And I think that's probably one of the things that goes untalked about in startups is there's so many people that are willing to help you out because they love your mission. They love what you're doing and they're willing to spend 30 minutes with you and impart some advice or expertise. So um, across that, I think I'm just very thankful for all the people along the way that have lent their time and expertise and open doors for me and Fasana more broadly. Um, I think some of the advice that I've gotten that's been particularly impactful has really been around that culture of experimentation and iteration. And I think that was important for me coming from a large company where the culture is more around Let's collect as absolute much data as possible and create these very large things that then you go get approved by executives and show these really robust things. And in a startup, it has to be the complete opposite. It has to be get something out there quickly, learn, experiment, get better, and just get better really, really fast. So someone told me that very early on in my journey and it's stuck with me and is now all the way embedded into a core value at Fasano. And the worst advice? Oof. equally, there's also been a lot of bad advice that I've gotten throughout my time. And I think a, a core thing that an entrepreneur has to do is be able to discern good advice from bad advice. Um, I think some of the bad advice that I got very early on was to not even create the company and to not even give it a shot at the end of the day. Um, I'm still fairly young from an entrepreneurial perspective. And so there are a lot of people suggesting that, I continue to go work more at a big company or at another startup before starting Vasana, But I really felt like this was a phenomenal time to do something that I'm very passionate about. And so I'm I'm very glad that I took the jump. It's very risky. And especially when you're coming from this, you know, you're getting a paycheck every two weeks and you've got this career that's moving forward. It can be extremely scary to um, make that jump into the unknown. And I'm incredibly thankful that I also had a lot of people that were helping me through that transition and really supported me through that transition. But there were plenty of dissenters who also said that it was a bad idea. Um, and so I think that would probably be the worst advice that I got.
3: That's great. Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing your story.
0: Yes. Thank you so much, Christine. It was wonderful. And thanks for having me on the podcast.
1: Thank you for listening to another episode of the health technology podcast. We want to thank our executive producer, Herminio Neto, and our podcast engineer, Andrew Rojek. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. The Health Technology Podcast is available on all major platforms.